Alrighty, welcome back everybody for season two, episode two on women. So you know we're getting to the colonies this episode, and we do. Um, so our first um, thing we're going to do is reintroduce uh, Abigail Johnson. Woo-hoo! Tell all the good Yay. people who you are and what you do, a little bit about yourself. So I'm super awesome. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm about to graduate from my master's program in public policy and public administration. And then I've also got a background in psychology. So I've got a lot of different tracks going on, but um, I bring to the table a lot of different points of view when it comes to human behavior, um, how groups of people behave, and what different policies kind of affect everything else in the world. Absolutely. So awesome. I really like looking at this show because, you know, I get to use all of my powers. All of the powers. <laughs> Superpowers. Yes. Superpowers. And back again this episode <laughs> is the lovely Kay Megan Washington. Hi, Kay. Hello. And I'm your host and producer, Donna. And uh, Abigail was really sad she missed episode one. Oh so she's definitely going to interject with things from episode one. But you should have already watched episode one. So, you know, it's just like bonus material. Don't yeah, worry about so it. So then you already know that she didn't actually speak for the first 20 minutes. And that at 11 minutes, she had like a voiceover moment who was like, what the actual fuck? Um, and then you didn't <laughs> see Nick until 40 minutes in. So, yes. <laughs> I'm going to interject about episode one as well. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> I do appreciate that uh, Hulu sort of gives us this nice little intro of like episode one and two, because I do think they go together pretty well of like setting up like what the direction of the season is going to be, like what they did last season, season one, with the th- first three episodes. I don't think you need three episodes because we, we know a lot about this world, but it is about like, okay, who are we going to be focusing on and what is our path sort of going forward and what you can sort of expect I mean, um, to see more of. It was basically the equivalent of a two hour premiere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of shows do that for sure. Especially yeah. very popular shows like this one. Mm-hmm. Very award winning. Um, this episode again was directed by Mike Barker, who uh, directed season one, episode four and episode five. Um, so our first scene at the top is more of this escape. And, um, June is in this construction truck and she's barreling along and every, you know, siren gets to her. Obviously I would be too, if you're trying to escape (laughs) and, uh, everyone's out looking for you. Because uh, she is pregnant, so not only is she a handmaid on the loose, she is a pregnant handmaid. And uh, so that makes her extremely valuable to lots of people in many different ways. Um, so we get to uh, this uh, abandoned warehouse-looking place, and she's like, well, what's next? And the guy's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was told to get you here safely, and here, I helped so I'm you. Done. <laughs> Uh, I helped you. We're done. Yeah, exactly. Howdy. He was like, Deuces. probably see you in a few days if you're still here. So, maybe, uh, maybe fun. not. So, <laughs> good luck. And uh, I do, I think I, I talked about this in one of the recaps about how, you know, the show is always like turning sort of these archetypes and maybe cliches on its head about, you know, certain how storylines go. And so usually when you have this grand escape and it's all planned out and it's very elaborate. And here we get to this point where it's like, what is next? You, oftentimes you don't know. So, so they like to inject a, a little bit of these, you know, twists and turns. How like, okay, this is not a spy movie. There's no like underlying grand subplot of like mm-hmm. how to get June to Canada to Luke and have this giant happy ending. So, yeah, no. so we've gotten to this next point. And so, what it's going to require to get to the next next point is um, going to be quite a lot. 
which, which we explore in this um, episode. And I just love this. I wrote this in my notes. It says, after a while, crocodile. <laughs> He's just like, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so great. And, uh, yeah, just I, I think in episode one, you know, we had these these uh, other uh, colloquialisms like Godspeed, even though it's a small one. You would think it's a mm-hmm. little innocuous, but... It's just not in the canon of this world. And so for him to say, see you again, crocodile, instead of his, uh, you know, the usual, uh, you know, under his eye and praise be and all those things. Um, I appreciate. And then we get the big reveal of the gate coming down and she is at the Boston Globe offices, Mm -hmm. a uh, Mm -hmm. institution of journalism in our present day. And it's uh, abandoned, and he says that it's been abandoned since before the war. So maybe that meant to me, I was like, oh, so they shut down, which is kind of sad because, you know, the print journalism is struggling a lot nowadays, you know? Yeah, but I mean, so even in episode one, you Mm -hmm. saw that, like, there were little things that were happening from the beginning, and it was evolving slowly, and, like, that's that's a a great way to introduce policy is piece by piece because mm-hmm. I mean even mm-hmm. in, if you look at a simple concept like back in the 90s uh, Microsoft introduced a touch screen uh, uh, t- tablet of sorts and mm-hmm. no one touched it no one wanted it no one understood the utility but then Apple comes out with the iTouch and it's just a tiny little thing and then they slowly revo- reveal like more and more apps then they have the iPhone then the iTouch or I'm sorry the whatever all the eyes <laughs> thank you all of those mm-hmm. and now everyone else has touch screens and blah 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 it like it it spirals it snowballed that's good policy making is doing something like that because microsoft failed by not introducing the small steps before it they gotcha. were thinking oh they were just before their time so like mm-hmm. policy works the same way if you go ahead and you introduce this massive you know rework around the government and you try to restructure everything it's gonna fail Mm-hmm. Because no one understands why. Mm-hmm. No one wants to get on board because it's too many moving parts all at once. Whereas if you do small piece by small piece and then you let it sort of like grow with the movement, you're going to have people getting on board. That's why, you know, in episode one, this is this is me going back to episode one. Sorry, guys. So <laughs> <laughs> we did warn them. I, we did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyways. So in episode one, you see... Um, Emily at the airport and they're already accepting the fact that their marriage isn't accepted anymore. And, you know, little things like no, that's this. True. Was it? That's true. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm skipping nope. ahead. Nope. No, no, no. Oh. We're in two. It's fine. It's so cool. definitely the theme of this episode anyway. Yeah. Well, but we're introducing that different things, you know, came into effect a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, this is one of those things. Yeah, It's completely exactly. accepted right now. And so maybe, maybe that was the moment that, you know, free journalism was abandoned. Yeah. You know, maybe um, people left to go somewhere else because there were too many restrictions on what they were allowed to write about. Mm -hmm. You know, any number of reasons that could have been policy-based that were just a cherry on top that would go away. Or maybe they gunned them all down. I mean, there's options. Yeah. (laughs) This regime. I'm just saying there's a lot of abandoned stuff in that building that people would not just leave there and disappear one day. Well, you're right. You know what? You're right. In season <clears throat> one, when they ejected all of the women from the workplace, I mean, they sort of had those little banker boxes of like things mm-hmm. to take with them. But right. I mean, if you had like a really complicated setup, if you had you were pretty entrenched in your office for several years, I'm sure right. there's remnants of you she that are going to 
leave behind. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely really well, okay. creepy. No. Okay, so I'm going to defend whoever the woman was at that <laughs> desk. <laughs> Don't even mess with me. A working woman walking in heels, hail to the no. You keep your I'm shoes at your desk. Yes. Yes. You change when you get there so the boss thinks that you're freaking awesome, but always walk in and out in your sneakers so that you're comfortable and you don't okay, ruin your feet. So your point that you're... I, I, I get your point. So they, if they, I am on her If side. they chained it up just overnight one day mm-hmm. and nobody could get back in to get their stuff, yeah. then okay. Yeah, granted. for sure. Then that girl left her shoes and that's very sad story because we all know that we love our shoes. That's very true. Those were cute shoes. They were mm-hmm. cute shoes, damn it! And... <laughs> Um, we get our first glimpse of the colonies in the next scene, which is really important because this is mm-hmm. talked about a lot in the literature and in the canon. And this is our first um, time seeing it on screen in this series. And we know a lot of things about the colonies. Like it's a hard labor camp, basically. And they're like, it's like slave labor. You, you know, you go there, you work until you die. And you die because supposedly there's radiation and enough radiation will kill you. Yeah, so, uh, so to speak. from the outsider perspective who hasn't read the books, mm-hmm. you know, it took me a solid 60 seconds from being introduced to the scene to figure out what was going on and where I was. Right. So I saw Emily and I'm mm-hmm. just thinking, why? Why is she still alive? What's first happening? Of where is she? Well, see, the last thing I remember was... She was with that family, and the woman said, uh, I can be sick this month. We don't have to do it. That's the and last then thing I remember. She stole a car and ran over a guardian. So, oh, like, I didn't realize that Technically, was she should be dead, but we'll I didn't see think why. she was dead. I didn't think she was dead. I just thought that, they, that she killed someone, but they yeah. took her out because it looked like they went to grab her. Yeah. I never really thought much past that moment, mm-hmm. so that shows what I've worthy of right now but in that moment i didn't think about all of that i didn't remember all of that because i didn't really put two and two together but i looked at the surroundings and there's nothing Mm -hmm. and they're all like digging Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. is the purpose like what are they actually digging for what and it's going into bags like they're going into actual bags Mm -hmm. if you were just doing backbreaking labor for no point why would you need a bag well I think, as I recall from the books anyway, is that they're doing cleanup mm-hmm. of sites that were um, essentially nuked. Mm. And so they've got them um, gathering up the contaminated soil. soil. Because remember what she said about um, you're, you're gonna, don't, don't even try to not get an infection. You're going to because right. all the water's contaminated. Mm. Yeah. Um, so they've got them basically clearing the contaminated sites. I wonder if the regime is just doing this just to punish these people or if it really has a purpose and therefore they need people to work these sites. Yeah, because to me, say, because places like um, it looks pretty death. I mean, skipping ahead in one of the later scenes she does have like a couple little things that she has managed to grow like that little mint plant and uh, other little things so there is some viability in in some way um 
But for the most part, you know, what you see, what they're digging and just like the color of it and the consistency, it's mm -hmm. obviously not. And you see the deplorable condition that th these women are in with the skin lesions. I mean, it's very indicative of um, uh, radiation poisoning. Radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. So we, we definitely know it's in the atmosphere, it's in the soil, it, it gets into your system and it's, it's very damaging to the human body. And uh, so I wonder what is the efficacy of like, what, what do they uh, plan to achieve? Like if you shovel enough of this out does it lessen it like i i didn't have time to really if you research get enough of the levels of topsoil out the, there's there's differing opinions on this but the general idea is that it only penetrates to a certain level of topsoil so if you can clear ah. all that out of there and get it out then there's a potential there's to a make potential to reuse that the land sooner right. gotcha okay all right Thank you, agricultural expert, for that. That was me, One of the benefits of having uh, somebody from ag. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and then they have this weird prayer break. Like, they ring the bell, and oh, then they all bizarre. get down and pray. Mm -hmm. And we see Emily there, obviously, so that's really sad. But um, but I, I, I'm still stuck on that. Like, I think uh, in the rules of the world, it makes the most sense to me that she would probably have been executed. But the writers were like... We love Alexis Bledel, so let's put her in the colonies. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm calling you out, right? I, mean, I don't know. They could have executed her, but why would you execute someone who has ability you know, to a perfectly healthy human body right. to dispose of by right. radiation, which is a much worse death than... And all those people are women. Mm -hmm. There is no... Yeah, because men are perfect and never commit crimes. Well, <laughs> if they do, they, I think, get executed by the handmaids, right? By a salvaging... Mm -hmm. or, or get strung up on the wall. Or get their arms cut off. Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry, I haven't seen that by any man there. Yeah, I Who? think in, in the first episode in The mm -hmm. Salvaging, there's a man and they say he's been convicted of rape. And so the Oh, so he was around. stoned, wasn't he? No, they tore him to bits. Tore him to bits, like oh. with their hands. And oh, then all, right. of, all of the That's people who are on the wall. Um, those were all guys. Those are all men. Never was a woman on the wall. I don't even think, hmm. too, in one of the... Uh, early early flashbacks of when Moira and June are trying to escape from the Red Center and they manage to make it to the train station if any of those dead bodies you see in those scenes are also women it seems like I guess I never paid attention and so I think there is some sort of separation between like if you step out of line and you're a man like you're just executed and then if you step out of line and you're a woman you can be put to death if the crime is severe enough, but see, I want to know the actual stipulations of those rules. Oh yeah. man, I want to delve into that policy. Um, Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I never knew how much I wanted this flashback until it came, but we have flashback of oh Emily as a professor. God. And I was yes. like, yes, yes. I'm so excited for this. So badass. Emily, Emily, the badass professor, she teaches um, in biology mm -hmm. and uh, there's Talking a about moment, microbiomes. microbiomes and she has an incident in her classroom where a guy is sort of um, mansplaining, mansplaining to this young lady, incorrectly, mind you, <laughs> and she corrects him. And uh, so With after class, science for the win. <laughs> and she uh encourages the young lady afterwards she's just like no just stick with it and she was like does it get better in grad school she goes no, no. but you just gotta stick with it and, so and i'm here to support that statement no <laughs> yeah it absolutely doesn't here's the thing though 
the uh, I, I got to thinking about this. The only person who could have narked on her mm-hmm. about the keeping an unhealthy is the classroom girl. is the girl. Yeah, like, that's true. What? The she's the only. She's the only one who else. saw the picture on her phone. Yeah, of her and her wife and their uh, son and their Oliver. Kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I did think of that too, and I was like, I really weird. hope that shit comes back because I want to understand why. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and she was so nice to you. She was so nice to you. How dare you betray her? How dare you? Um, and right? so we you have this a, scene. You can be a Christian and a believer, and and and, 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 and the chick and, even said, and, "Oh, how beautiful is that?" Your kid? Well, like, why would you play nice like that? I want to understand. I want to understand too, because it's a very strange situation. But I think it's also a device that gets us to like our next scene of like this. Um, she's ha- talking with her colleague, who we assume is sort of like uh, also or her superior in this university setting in academia. Mm-hmm. And she says that um, I think she's the chief of the department. Probably, yeah. And like uh, mm-hmm. he says he's pulling her from teaching, and well, she's he framed really it on it. a positive note, like, oh, you get more lab time. You know how hard that is. That's why I think he's the head of the department. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. decision makers. That makes sense. And it comes stems from this. He goes. An uh, uh, overcaution, an overabundance of caution, and we've seen, you know, in uh, flashbacks in episode one of uh, all the women in uh, June's office being escorted off the premises. So he's sort of like seeing the trend, and he's feeling that. But not only is she the woman, is that also she um, is gay, and so she brings up the picture and she's like, "Do you have a picture of that on your phone?" And that's probably not smart. And she goes through this like. Thing that of course you know all, um, all people uh, go through and it's like you know I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am why should I not be able to display who I am and not get you know be accepted and all of that stuff and then and his response was welcome to the fight yeah mm-hmm. and he said he removed all the pictures of his partner so we know that you know what his history is and his ident- how he identifies right. and uh, so yeah he goes yeah welcome to the fight it sucks and so we've sort of set up this, you know, there is tension now of before uh, in episode one of this season, season two, the one right before this, of the tension of that motherhood and working mom mm-hmm. aesthetic. And now we see this intense, you know, threat of uh, homophobia mm-hmm. and uh, which still exists in our culture today a lot of uh, queer people come up against homophobia in lots of different settings and and different circumstances um in uh official policy making and just in culture and interacting with other people uh so it's to me completely relevant because we can totally look at that and be like that's ridiculous why would you get judged for having that on your phone and while that's illegal now you know it's it's not a far cry from what the sentiment it stems from well point being it hasn't been illegal to discriminate and in some states it isn't illegal to discriminate against people for sexual orientation that's very true in some states it is not however it is a federal crime therefore yeah even though it's not written in the state level it is relevant in all 50 states there's a lot uh, of gray area though there's gray I'm areas an, i'm an eeo officer federal sweetie. trump's state no because there's gray area when it's like the the state versus the federal law. Not not with regard to state law cannot you, contradict federal. 
It absolutely can in this particular case, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But I mean, no. But the point I'm making is, I'm an, I'm an EEO officer, so I know this, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it does. The it the situation is, if you file a complaint to the EEOC, mm-hmm. yes, with regard to your sexual orientation, absolutely, they will take that and they will come in and they will police. If you do it at the state level and your particular state does not specify in their law that they do that it is illegal to um, to discriminate because of sexual orientation you are not protected you are only protected at the federal level no you I, can take it to the supreme you no, can that, appeal that's it. exactly you can sure. it I'm not saying you yeah. can't I'm, I'm yeah. saying you can't but that's exactly it. my point though is that mm-hmm. it is technically illegal if you don't ever take it above state then yeah. you're just kind of dumb well, I mean it's a lot of resources I mean thank God yeah. for the ACLU you know what I mean but exactly point, be- well, point being regardless <laughs> This has not been illegal that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's yeah. the thing that's kind of creepy about a lot of this is that a lot of this stuff is pretty going new. back to, you know, Obergefell was how, how many years ago yeah, with regard to, to gay know. marriage? Not very long. Mm-hmm. So n- most of this stuff has not been illegal to discriminate against people for for very long. So it wouldn't take all that much to backtrack real quick. Right. And I mean, I, we can talk about it right now. It's 2018, and there's there's a lot of fear in that because we just had a huge uh, a fight over transgender uh, um, people in and their presence and role in in military uh, positions. And so that's also not Even a far that's cry. Like a fraction of one percent of the total. Like that's absurd to be talking about. But but it's it's there. Yeah, and unfortunately, in, so. You know, when you highlight, you know, a very small group of people and, you know, it's important to fight for that small group of people because then it's not a far cry for them to just take the other step. And then, you know, you didn't fight for those people. And so now it becomes even harder to fight for the larger, you know, group of people that those people were a part of. Mm -hmm. So it is indicative of uh, a lot of attitudes that are present in our culture right now, unfortunately, in 2018. And it has a lot to do with, um, you know, a rise of, um, of xenophobia and, and homophobia. And a lot of these norms we thought we were progressing towards are now, you know, a lot of people feeling comfortable speaking out against and tearing them down. And, 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 and so we're in this cultural fight that we continue to be. And even when we started this podcast in, you know, last year and in episode one, you know, we're talking about these, these fights. And so it's just progressed more and into different avenues and things like that. So it hasn't quelled down as much as we had hoped when we had first, you know, started talking about these attitudes in our culture. It's kind of amped up a little bit too. Yeah. In some ways it has. So it is, I think, scary i'm not a queer person but i'm sure you know queer people out there listening they do think about this on a day-to-day basis and there are fears that are present for them and uh that's important to think about that we can see this and say that's not right well you know it's happening and so it's important for us to see that and say it's not right and then also to recognize that it's not right what's happening currently with Mm -hmm. the undercurrent um against queer uh queer people in our culture and our laws particularly too and how quickly it could turn i mean that was the thing in the scene in the airport Mm -hmm. where the the one um 
soldier was looking through and saying, um, I guess he was an ICE agent, was looking through and saying, yeah, see, it was one thing this morning, and then they sent us out this new mm-hmm, stuff today, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. hold on, let me let me look and see what's going on here. And between his saying, okay, yeah, so you've got your, your certificate, cool, so all you have to do is go and get that stamped, and you're good. And between their leaving him and getting to the guy in the office... Mm-hmm. It had changed. It had changed again. And right. he's like, yeah, we're not taking those anymore. Yep. Your, your marriage is no longer valid. How is it that he can get that memo that freaking quickly? How did a policy get passed and sent out to every agent that fast without the internet, people? <laughs> Who says they don't have internet? Well, this is pre, uh, I mean, yeah, not I pre-Gilead. Know. Uh, this is like our in-between period, right? Oh. We were talking about timeline. Yeah, you're right. They might still have it. it is, what do I know? It's and post- we don't know, and we don't know that they don't have that Gilead doesn't have internet. This we is, just know it's not available to certain people. I also think that um, timeline-wise, we are a little jumbled because in it's episode so one we are talking about um, how the attacks like just happened, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in that timeline and then in this flashback in Emily's timeline the attacks have already happened right so we are like not we're in Gilead but not quite as firm and set up as we have been in in fast forward three years right you know what we should try to do Mm. make like a physical timeline we really should (laughs) yeah that's a good idea a lot I'm gonna gonna um, start that like that big thing that Alice had up on the wall in the L word with everybody's connections (laughs) that's not a bad idea we're gonna work on that stay tuned yeah we're gonna do that stay tuned Okay. So. Uh, no, timeline is important because we yeah. are trying to track the attitudes and how they're changing. So it is important to sort of figure out what, what our context here is. And I, it's so funny. You were talking about the ICE agent and at the airport. And that just reminded me to uh, last year when there was that quote unquote Muslim ban and nobody at the airport knew what the F was going on. <laughs> and no, and it's totally true. Like it's exactly what happened. And all the agents at the airport were just like, no, 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 we, I don't know. We just got this. I don't know. So that was the sentiment around that. And so I think it, it to echo that was, was very smart. And, uh, and just the mass throng of people trying to leave the country. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because we also talk a lot about, um, what, the Gilead's relationship is to other nations. And so you can't just deny citizens of other nations their laws and their rights. So anyone with Canadian passports or passports to other countries were able to easily just go because you can't make those people angry because Canada's going to come and probably get their people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then my question became, once they started asking her, because they were asking, you know, okay, so she is, has a Canadian passport. The child's de facto Canadian. Mm-hmm. But then you, um, do you... Do, did you have the embryo implanted or mm-hmm. like all of a sudden it was like, we know you're American, but now we got some second questions. Was it your kid or was it planted? Mm-hmm. But she can't win no matter which way she says it, because if mm-hmm. she says it's implanted, mm-hmm. well then it's not biologically hers by any means. Colonies. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she can potentially wait and hope that an embassy helps her out. Right. Or she gets stuck. And then on the flip side, you know, It was my embryo. Oh, you're fertile. We're keeping you. You're not going to get to your uh, Mm -hmm. 
Either way, yeah. So, like, no matter what, she was kind of screwed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely the feeling of, like, despair I got was just, like, once they started asking that question. Like, they're already filtering people. Mm -hmm. They're already getting set up to send people to the Red Center. And they're sort of waiting for the hubbub to die down. It was just sort of like, if these people want to leave, we can't force them to to stay because they have citizenship and passports in other countries so that's something you have to let go and then so they're slowly 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 controlling and filtering people into the funnels that they want to filter them through um and poor little oliver plus that sweet little child Mm -hmm. he was so cute Mm -hmm. um in the colony we're getting back to uh emily in the present day uh, we're in the barracks and just like really deplorable conditions, really yeah. just like a total slum, just just no regard or care for anybody that that is there. I mean, it, it, it really reminded is. me of like back in season one when like you were looking at them in the barracks when they were first getting acclimated. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. only difference was it was dirty. Yeah. I think because the handmaids in the Red Center are, you know, they're being groomed to bear children you can torture them and sort of mistreat them in some way, but at some you still have to keep them healthy. Where these these women, they know they're going to die, so there's no point mm-hmm. in giving them any sort of care. Um, so that was really sad. And then we have this uh, weird uh, little twist of this wife coming to Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. <laughs> if you guys can see right now, Kay is just dancing in her seat. <laughs> I understand. In my I, notes, I have <laughs> Marissa Tomei. <laughs> it's, uh, I agree with your son. What a great mm-hmm. performance. Because I think you. It was a quick one. I, I, w- I was like watching and then I was like, wait. That was, <laughs> I was so embroiled in her performance. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's her. That's good. Mm-hmm. great. Um, and so this storyline with the wife we follow, she, uh, we find out that she had an affair. And that's why she was sent to the colonies. Um, she also, interesting why she was not executed, because that's something I feel like you could be executed for. Yeah, I was very confused. Like, how, how is it? Did you notice? Uh, she did not sense. mention the gender oh. of the person with whom she had the affair. That's true. All she said was was that she committed a sin of the flesh uh-huh, uh-huh. because she was weak, uh-huh. and but that she fell in love, and uh-huh. surely God would forgive her for that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I just um, assumed it was a man. I did, too. I got the feeling, too. But you never know. Well, we were asking why they didn't kill her. Well, if she's polluting herself with somebody else's seed, yeah, Yeah. they might well kill her. Yeah. But if she's just a gender traitor. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Emily's Emily's not dead. Emily's not dead. dead. Emily's not dead. I have a lot of questions for these people who sent to the colonies. She also doesn't have a a lot of questions anymore. um, So it's interesting that this wife is sent to the colonies because then now, okay, we're playing the class game and she's out of her element because Mm -hmm. all these people have been subjugated for so long and we see this person come in with so much status and i was gonna say like i didn't think any wife would ever be sent there that's true under any circumstances i didn't know that was even a thing until it happened and i was so confused exactly Um, again policies i want them written down i want to know them i want to read them back and forth <laughs> it's also though I think at the discretion of whoever's making these decisions, right? Uh-huh. You know, because like a law is a law, but also the council can say and do whatever it wants and who I mean, what they're is, not going to contest it, you know, there's no way to. So What is it considered an oligarchy? 
or totalitarian? Totalitarian, but they're run by a council. There's no head figure that yeah. dictates all of the policy because they're I'm like a council. Um, but again, they can say and do whatever they want, uh, and yeah. the people mm. they punish can't really do much about it. Yeah, no. Or try to escape. They could do that. But it is fishy. It is fishy that Emily and this wife are alive. I'm just saying that. Super weird, right? Okay. Um, Glad we established. And, and uh, the water's contaminated, so she gives them some uh, antibiotics, which we later find out. Dark Emily comes out. Dark, Dark Emily. Dark smart. <laughs> Kay is doing her quotation marks. Around antibiotics. <laughs> quote. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, she gets sick, and she told her at first she was like oh a mistress was kind to me once and which we do know her her second mm-hmm. posting um when she came back to being a handmaid um of uh, emily's character uh that that mistress was very kind and we and we saw that and um so we bought that but she tricked us with her evilness <laughs> um and so it's this interesting turn because emily was this like hopeful dude i dig very it you know, fight kind of, but Emily, uh, Emily's always She's had a fight. Biologist. She's a biologist. So she come up with oh my gosh. Stuff Case from, hit the it's nail. From on beautiful. Plants and She's so smart. And so we have this turn of her. She's just, she like, literally like poisoned how, the wife. I like how when the wife, you know, asked her question, <laughs> she was like, Oh, I was just a university professor. Yeah. Like definitely didn't specify anything. Yeah. Mm-mm. And the wife was just like, I had an MFA. In interior design. And she was just like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. And she <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Back before they changed the rules. Yeah. She is such an interesting character because I think, too, she is like, uh, I love Kay's term, true believer, right? She has mm-hmm. this ultimate faith in God and uh, that God will deliver her. At the very end, she kills her on purpose <laughs> and lets her die and then the scene at the very end where she has her like strung up on the cross and i'm like jesus mm-hmm. what's up with that emily gosh you got some dark things going on but it, you've been through a lot i'm not gonna deny you that you've been through a lot i don't even care she's badass i love it <laughs> she i also I, it's it's she's strange to badass. me though because i feel you f- i feel this like small like okay i didn't feel that wife was that bad <coughs> She wasn't, but she was a wife. But she was a wife. And so she, she used this wife as sort of this like symbol. I was like, I'm going to take all this, this everything I'm feeling and direct it towards you as some sort of retribution for the way that I've been treated by this regime and by the people in power. And you're one of the people in power in the strata. So I, I was. Say, I don't even care. Like, good for her for just being a badass mofo. It's like, like when they lock cops up in federal prison. Yes. Mm. Yes, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then also at the end of that scene is when we, uh, we know that Janine was sent to the colonies by Aunt Lydia saying so in episode one of this season. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is when Janine arrives in Emily's Which was a cool way to link the timelines. Yeah. The moment it happened, I was like, oh, that's where we are now. (laughs) Again, we're going to make a timeline. Mm -hmm. Abigail said, we need to. I'm so excited to to make a timeline, guys. We're going to make one. Um, So that is sort of a, that and oh but in another flashback emily's colleague was hanged um and oh, that's okay. what so did prompts hang, them did he hang himself i don't think so out? no i think he was it was the 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 beginning of the uh okay, stringing people sure up about days. that well they hanged him and then they put faggot, faggot under well, him well, that so people have been would done, look up and see him mm-hmm. that could have been done after the fact could have you never know 
Well, I don't put anything past it. It almost regime. clearly was done after the fact, but if you mean unrelatedly, I don't think so. I would think it definitely was because, you know, he was gay. And that's what prompts them to go to the airport. Just want to make sure I hit on that point there because that was very sad. And it was, a, <laughs> she realized she was like, I'm not going to fight. I'm going to get the heck out of here because yeah. she has a family, you know, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. So I think all of that, like her recollection of all of that and, and focusing all of that anger and angst into this wife. And, and you know, the way that they structured all of this from like looking at present to back to present to back, you know, focusing on her, it makes me think, you know, considering the, I'm sorry, but considering the fact that June was told by Nick probably another couple of weeks mm-hmm. makes me think probably another, another couple episodes of just pure like side story development and backstory and growing on the timeline yeah and just really giving you different views of the world and different side characters that you didn't really think too much about that mm-hmm. maybe only were there once or twice really mm-hmm. yeah you know because there were some moments at the beginning of that first episode where you looked at some of the characters and like I recognize you. You had like three lines. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if that's what they're going to do for the next few episodes until June's able to leave. Yeah. You know, just do lots of different development and have some really interesting stories happen. It's a possibility. Absolutely. In terms of development, there's this really interesting thing happening with June and that she's sort of like on this solo mission because so mm-hmm. much of the her time before is surrounded by people. She was going through difficult stuff, but she was, uh, you know, with Luke and Hannah. And then after that, she mm-hmm. was at the Red Center. And then uh, after that, she was at a commander's posting. She's always been around people. And there was uh, a moment in uh, the very beginning of this episode where she says, something along the lines of, you know, oh, how quickly you become accustomed to walls. How Mm -hmm. quickly you become accustomed to, even though you're being subjugated in this horrible way, three square meals a day in a warm bed and all Mm -hmm. this comfort. And now this is freedom that she so wants. It's very uncomfortable because she's she doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know who's gonna help her to the next step, what the next step is, no structure. And she's by herself for the first time in what how long? How long has has it been since she's been in a space by herself, being beholden to no one? You she know what I mean? She fixed that, though. She did, <laughs> which I am glad of and I'm proud of her of. <laughs> I'm just say that. Um, you, you, you got to see quite, but, but, quite but, a bit but, of your but, boy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So June did not fix it all on her own. Nick set this all up. Because remember the very last sentence at mm-hmm. the very end of the first season. He says, trust me. He does. But like she has to mm-hmm. hold court on her own by her lonesome. And I don't think she's done that in quite some time. I don't think very many of us um, do really on a very regular basis to to, to spend uh, much of our time alone. You know, right. we're, you know, at school, we're at work, we're, um, you know, doing theater projects and, mm-hmm. and all these sorts of things. We're always around people. And so in this very specific circumstance for her to be in this abandoned building that feels very much like the world before, not knowing what's next, mm-hmm. not knowing who is going to come through that door and, just being and be left a threat. To all of your thoughts. Like, exactly. So this is a really rare moment mm-hmm. for, I think a lot of people in this world and um, it's it's definitely scary and uh, she finds that Friends DVD which we talked about um, a little bit <laughs> yes. earlier um, she, well, no, the printing presses mm-hmm. um, and uh, then we get to the nooses and the wall 
full of bullet holes. Mm -hmm. And so we get the idea that uh, the people who worked in this office were executed and murdered. But we don't Um, see any blood. On the wall, there's blood. Oh, I missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, Must have looked away. There, I mean, it's a very terrifying scene. Yeah, I mean, I almost... Awful. It's pretty awful. And uh, we see the other shoe. We had the one shoe at the desk at the cubicle, and we see the other shoe here, uh, where there was obviously a firing squad, and uh, all these people were murdered. So it affects her really greatly, and that there was this place so full of life not unlike the the, her own office because she was in you know the literary and publishing industry it did look very similar and uh structure to know that all these people that the space she's inhabiting is not a clean space Mm -hmm. it is not without trauma this this space holds a lot of negativity and and brutality and she thought she had gotten away from that and i think the reminder of that brutality is really i think what triggered her is the Mm -hmm. reminder that even here it is not safe it is not without um the uh all the negative forces that she's been dealing with up until this point um that everything she's trying to get away with get away from really um and then that's when nick comes in and they have their their scene there um, and just that tension between them, all of that anger and everything mm-hmm. coming out, and he happens to be the person that meets it, yeah. uh, which is interesting. I am traumatized. I am sad. I am. I have a scorching case of cabin fever because I'm stuck in here and I'm not doing anything and I'm feeling helpless, and so I am going to bounce on you until <laughs> I break you. It was such a hot <laughs> scene, though. Oh, my God, can we agree? Yes. Oh, yes. Like I said, you got to see quite a bit of your boy. Yeah, quite a bit. Oh. So I think it was a nice and reprieve. her control, <laughs> she just grabbed that hair and yanked it back, and you heard him... <gasps> And then you just let it happen. And then you, for a second, I thought she was like attacking him. And then after I realized that like her, it was all just happening. I was like, yes. And then he takes back control and throws it up against the wall. And then she goes and bites him. Like it's just a power struggle of hot intensity. (laughs) (laughs) I like your play by play there. That was really. She wore his butt out. That was, yeah. I I wrote in my next notes here. Sexcapades is what. That's all you wrote? (laughs) I made I a mental a recap for you I people, wrote, and that's all you wrote? <laughs> I wrote I wrote tension, intimacy, chemistry, sexcapades oh, is no. what I wrote. I like what I have better. <laughs> I do what you I do like what you have better. Your notes you are forgot better. the power struggle. You I like I wanna read your notes. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, and then so closing out that storyline and she's at the Boston Globe, she finds the laptop. Internet, where's the internet on that laptop is what I thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a fixation about internet in this world. We're trying to find it. Well, because we're, we're trying, trying to, to understand find it. it. We're trying to find the internet in this world. She's watching Friends, which um, FYI, that I have watched episode, was fantastic. episode one to the last episode of Friends consecutively about five times. So mm-hmm. just to let you know what my knowledge of Friends is. So do you is know that, the name of that episode? I don't. But well, then I you do. suck as a friend. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know the name of the episode, but I know what happens next. Yes, it's because yes! they're naming the one, the, five, the, the five, the five, seven. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. Seven, I can't say the word, seven, but seven. Yes. And uh, directly correlates with uh, what just like, happened uh-huh. with Nick. Um, <laughs> and oh, she sort so of has spicy. this moment with this found mug, and she 
goes around collecting things from the office and we don't know what she's doing. And she goes down to the wall, the the firing squad wall, and she creates this memorial, this shrine, shrine, just um, honoring the victims of this place. Like these were people. It was very Mm -hmm. beautiful. And it was, it was nice to end on, on sort of this (laughs) for this show, wholesome (laughs) for the show note of, you know, coming full circle of you know this was a place that um just has a lot of trauma and she comes in and she has a lot of trauma and so she tries to find a way to bring herself a little comfort and closure Mm -hmm. about herself and also what happened to this place and what happened to these people and i think it's really to me because i'm such a journalism nerd one of my favorite shows ever is The Newsroom. You can watch it on HBO, Jeff Daniels, and just incredible writing. And it has a lot of commentary about not only politics and culture, but about modern journalism. Even though it was made several years ago, it's still very relevant. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. And this conversation we have daily about journalism and our you know, president at the moment is always calling everything fake news and always trying to discredit journalism. And regimes, um, that's a... A classic marker of a of a of a totalitarian re- regime of a dictator trying to suppress the media and the it's press misinformation misinformation propaganda, propaganda mm-hmm. exactly and so i think it's like all of that all of these feelings we currently have about media and journalism and to see well so being okay. treated like these are people and the extreme of this this totalitarian regime to execute people in this way is really shocking but i mean it's happened throughout history it's i not mean a new concept. it's not a new mm-hmm. concept and it, and it continues in in a very um tense places where journalists get put in harm's way and you know they have very important jobs you know people who are out in the field um and, and do field reporting in that way so i think it's important for us to frame that you know our our attitudes about journalism now is really important for us to think about because this looks and sounds extreme, but it's it's very relevant. So. Well, it looks and sounds extreme here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Somewhere else it might look a little nice. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is this sort of thing, people, you know, lining journalists up against walls and, and killing them, oh. people being poisoned, it happens Every day. Pretty mu- every day, pretty much every place other than here. Um, so I think that's what it is, is yeah. that, well, you know, we're, we're not used to it being here. here. That's the Boston Globe. Yeah. You know? That is the Boston <laughs> remember, frickin' remember, Globe. Remember you, you guys watch Spotlight? Okay, that's, 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 the, that's globe. the Globe. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I think, think that's what, what makes it so shocking to us mm-hmm. is that does not happen here. I I contend, yeah, absolutely. I contend with this imagery, uh, if I can touch on this for a little bit. I mean, it's such an intense um, uh, iconism, I want to say that word correctly, iconism of this show is uh, the noose. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me. Symbolism. And, yes. And, uh, you know, I am what I consider myself to be pretty desensitized i watch action movies and spy movies and pretty violent things on the regular you know as long as it serves the story i mean i can think something is you know gratuitous in terms of sex and violence but i've you know 
But I've grown up in a culture where, you know, that's become the norm in, in, in a lot of our media and stories and, and imagery. But there is really something about that uh, that particular image that even after now it's 12 because, episodes, right. I, it makes me just so uncomfortable. It's because of the way that they've portrayed it. The way that they've shaped it around the entire culture of the show. Yeah. That is incredible cinematography, one. Mm-hmm. Fantastic directing, two. And mind-blowing editing. Mm-hmm. Those three are the trifecta to make symbolism grand when mm-hmm. it comes to shows. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, it. I don't think you can get away with that. That get away from that symbol in the show it's it's so it's so entrenched in everything they do they use it as a um as a means to incite fear really just the the, just the the side of it um you know we get it at the beginning of uh episode one season two and we get it you know in this episode with this particular set of circumstances so i think it's become their device for like it's like their signature for fear, you know yes. because you know anybody can have a gun any anyone can have a gun but this is old school kill you snap your neck the slow way speaking of privilege who do you hang well you hang criminals mm-hmm. yeah and you hang brown people mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you can't get away from the that's what people are used to yeah yeah who they hang in now yeah the fertile bitches I'm well, sorry. <laughs> right. Yes. But what I'm saying is most of whom are what? Yeah. White. White. Yeah. These were. So do you think you that's know, why it's impacting us with stronger emotions? No, no, Cause no. Because we're not used to seeing white people that aren't criminals hanged? For me, it's just I the whole thing. I think that's part of it. I think it's the okay. whole thing. I mean. I don't mean just for us. I mean, just in general. In general, yeah. It is. It's. <sighs> it's because it's a different. Think of it. Think of it. Word. Think of it was an electric chair. Okay. okay. Because that's something that's that we still use, you know. Sure. Okay. Let's think of it as if it were an electric chair. If literally anybody could end up in an electric chair for no reason, Mm -hmm. like we have decided that you have broken the law. What law? I I know the laws. No, 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 not this law. This is a new law, and now you are going to the electric chair. We are not used to being subject to that. You see what I'm saying? Threat. You know, to that level of threat. You know that that's for bad people, either bad people or back in the day, back mm-hmm. before we all got, you know, got religion and got a got you know got sort of thinking better about things. Mm. That we used to string up black people that way, mm-hmm. you know, because they broke huh. laws or they looked at people the wrong way or they ran away from slavery or they did whatever. But that is not something that happens to good people. You know, if you're doing everything, if you're, you're doing to be everything able. that you're, supposed I see exactly to be doing. what you're talking about. Okay, so. From a psychology perspective, uh, like a social psychology perspe- mm-hmm. perspective, Kay, you're absolutely right. Everything you're saying is on point. That um, what we're used to is one image of the noose and an understanding, a general understanding of what it's used for and its overall purpose. Mm-hmm. And what this show has done with the directing and the editing and the cinematography, the wonderful trifecta I love, what they have done is they've taken it and they've flipped it on his head. And the reason why it evokes fear from us Mm -hmm. is because when we think of a noose, we think of killers, we think of horrible people, we think of back in the day when slaves abandoned their home and tried to run to the north for freedom. You know, we have very specific images in mind, but all of a sudden, anyone at any moment can be 
subject to a crime that they didn't know was a crime or to uh, some sort of a punishment that they didn't realize was relevant for whatever it was that they thought they didn't do. You know, like at any point in time, someone can say you committed a crime, even though you did nothing wrong, just because that's the culture that you're in right now. Mm -hmm. That evokes fear Mm -hmm. to know that you are subject Mm -hmm. to being hanged for nothing. Yeah. You were a priest for 30 years, but now all of a sudden Catholicism has been outlawed and so we're going to hang you. Yeah. Wait, 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 what? what? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a priest, you can't I believe in me. God. I'm the one that taught you mm-hmm. about Joseph's sons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet you're going to hang me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, that's why it evokes fear. I think you're absolutely right, Kay. They took it and they spun it on its head. I think it's... Uh, you know, to watch something that makes you uncomfortable and to still watch it, it has a lot of merit. <laughs> I think it has yeah. merit that it makes us uncomfortable in the first place. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Because for we're sure. so desensitized. And, you know, it's interesting that just now, I believe, uh, they're um, making a museum to um, all the African Americans who were lynched in yep. um, Jim Crow era and, and slavery just mm-hmm. now. You know, and, you know, MLK uh, Memorial in Washington, D.C. was not put up even that much longer before now. And uh, so we talked about in one of the podcasts in season one and also in the recaps about contending with um, the race, if they're going to ignore it completely or if it's going to be a factor, if they're going to touch on that at all in any way. But especially in the States, you you definitely can't get away with that connection and how we treat people of color and especially our history of slavery in the United States and what that symbolizes for the African-American community. I makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) is my point. Um, And it's definitely something I hope They'll contend with a little bit on this show. We'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, it seems like up till now, and well, I guess we'll see where where that goes. It sort of seems like up till now, there's enough of a crisis with regard to infertility mm-hmm. that they don't seem to care with the handmaids what color you are. Right, right. that's they're why just I didn't scooping think up everybody and guardians except, also. Yeah, and and guardians. Um. But we don't see enough of the rest right. of the world to mm-hmm. see yeah. Yeah. who else is out there. Right. Also, um, Amanda Bruglia, she plays Rita, which we yes. um, are hopefully going to get back to because remember they... She's got the letters. She's got the letters. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, is a Martha. And so that's also hearkening back to um, also some imagery and feelings of, you know, of uh, African-Americans and people of color being in in servitude to higher class people as well. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we talked about earlier about hopefully this show will sort of talk about. We'll see. But Martha's are higher than than handmaids, right? Uh, In a different way. I mean, you're still working for no pay. They're not subject to colonies just because they don't give birth in three years yeah True. and they also have household skills because they have to run the household right. like just like back in the mm-hmm. um days when you had someone running your whole household like a you know butler or, or a matron who who ran the staff basically but you are right. the staff because mm-hmm. i i believe um in some of the higher up households there could be more than one martha but typically there only is need mm-hmm. only need for one but I think um, like anytime there's a special event all the Marthas go to that one yeah. house and mm-hmm. they all help out there mm-hmm. so we've seen that multiple times so we'll see if that happens um, 
in sneak peek for episode three, um, mm-hmm. we see a little bit of Moira. So we're going to go back to Moira and we get are going to get introduced to June's mother, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get a little bit more of that. We're going to get a little bit more of June and her journey, trying to get back to her family um, and uh, a little bit more, hopefully, backstory of everybody. I think that's the direction we're going, like this character development and this little in-between time. I've got my fingers crossed for Janine. Yes. She shoot, what is it that, uh, was it uh, And some modern-day Luke. Was it Chekhov who said, um, you don't introduce a, no, it's Patty Chavsky, you don't um, introduce a gun in Act 1 unless you're going to use it by Act 4. You know, it's the same sort of, yeah. Same sort of thing, you know. Yeah. She shows up for a reason. Yeah, obviously. she's she's not going to be a minor character for sure. Right. In this this is why I'm saying I'm convinced that at least the next two episodes it's going to be you know side character development, side story development, and give me some more modern day Luke. What's he going to do with this <laughs> knowledge that she's alive? Yeah, because we're spending a lot of time in present day. We're getting mm-hmm. you know June's moving forward. So during this time, Luke's already had the note and knows that June's alive. So what's right. he been doing to try to get back to her? We see Emily and, and Janine meeting up. Um, there's that. And then, of course, Nick is sort of embroiled in this. We get a little bit of uh, Fred and um, Serena, but we spend so much time with them in season one that, you know, in the outside world, it's tough for us to, to see how that's going to relate. Although mm-hmm. Fred does make a call and was like, I'm commanding all your units. So he's they're trying to find her. Um, and Serena is such a compelling character. Um, you know, uh, she is such a wonderful performance that I don't see why we wouldn't, you know, spend some more time with her because her, uh, Ivan Strahovski is just uh, a fabulous actress and, and puts a lot of humanity um, and nuance in, in Serena Joy where Even you wouldn't she's expect. she's not saying a word. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that was, she, she had very few scenes and, and she made such an impression already yeah. in the first two hours that we have here. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. I mean, that we, we've worked so hard to get to this point. Uh, we've <laughs> spent so much time preparing for season mm-hmm. two and we are here. Mm-hmm. So thank you out there for listening. Um, I hope you um, stay on and uh, we will see you next week. For keep an eye out three. for that timeline. Keep an eye out for the timeline. Yes. If you have things to add to the timeline, <laughs> please contact us. Find us on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. Also email me at thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com. I also just set up a coffee page, which is ko-fi.com slash the handmaid's podcast so you can buy us all coffees uh, oh, <laughs> if you like yay. yeah and if you do we'll give you a cool shout out i'll make some little artwork artwork for you we'll figure something out to, uh, for you helping us out oh and for the record i like anything with chocolate <laughs> <laughs> send us presents uh we're hungry um and so thank you so much for listening what a great start to season two i'm really excited for things to come and our lovely panel of a co-host this season and stay tuned we'll talk to you soon bye all bye Thanks so much for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a review and like and subscribe to our Facebook page at The Handmaid's Podcast. Connect with us, please. Let us know what you thought about the first two episodes of season two. Talk to us about anything we said in our episode and let us know what you'd like for us to talk about next time if we didn't touch on it this week. Uh, our logo was designed by Jelko Strakal, and we record at the Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm.